0: happy new year. So I decided I'm starting out the new year with an episode for you guys and I've been doing a lot of work for you guys. I've been doing a lot of research because I feel like our little platform here is a little small and we need a place to grow and stretch and I really want to be able to have some audience participation. So what to look for. I may just start this with uh, an email address that way you guys can email me um, and work from there to get a podcast host site. But I figured I wanted to start, you got to start somewhere and work your way up. So that's probably where we're going to end up starting. And as soon as I have that, like on lockdown and everything, I will put it in The newest episode in the comments. Um, So, what's been going on? My insomnia has been really bad. But I've also been eating my weight in strawberry chocolate chip cookies. Which hasn't been good. Um, I was able to enjoy Jomets. Which was so nice. Um, Toasted in the new year. I... uh, as far as chronic illness, i decided, you know what, let's kick it off and get really tired for no reason. And I just felt like I had to lay down. And any of you that have POTS or orthostatic hypertension or any kind of chronic illness where the only way you feel better is if you're laying down. Like laying down in your bed, like no other place. And uh, I did that and I fell asleep um I slept for a while and I'm kind of in limbo between therapy starting back up and school starting back up and all of the good stuff that comes with that. Uh, Next week I have been with my cardio so hopefully there's some news on that. Um I have been (laughs) Arguing, <laughs> I wouldn't say arguing, but having to deal with the medical equipment situation. And I found two of the best people ever. And so I'm going to give them a call on Monday so that I can get the right um, extension tubing. But on the not so nice side, I decided to get extension tubing, buy myself some time to deal with my durable medical equipment company and for reference if you have a feeding tube or if you have any kind of thing where you have to have medical supplies continuously delivered to your house on a monthly basis you know that especially if you're nutritionally dependent on your feeding tube if your life depends on a trach or port care or you know for whatever reason and then the company that's supposed to be responsible for sending you those items all of a sudden goes from answering the phone to not answering the phone and your stuff just quit showing up. So I finally, as a blessing, a different company merged with the other company um, and it is called Option Care and they are really super awesome. And it basically ended up finding for a year that the kangaroo jelly bags that I thought I couldn't get, I could get, like, the the person, said, are you serious, like, they're telling you that, and I was like, yeah, and she literally, I was talking, to her, was going on, I was like, I don't have any extension sets, I can't get a hold of anybody over in, you know, the other side of things, and she's like, I put you over with us, you're going to do it with us, so, and she overnighted me a huge box and I was like, yay. And you know what it is, you know, when your, your supplies are high, you can breathe just a little bit easier because you're like, okay, we're good for a little bit of a month. Um, and certain things that I want to look into is why you don't get a lot of, I get like 30 bags, but five extension sets. I feel like I should get 30 extension sets. But then when I want to see the price per extension set to try to see if I could supplement what I was getting, they're expensive. And I'm sitting going, this thing is basically like a really bendy straw. Like, there's not a whole lot to an extension set. There's the part that clicks into your your button. Then there's the part that plugs into, uh, if you have N-Fit, which is this new thing that came out. And I'll explain it in a minute for those of you that don't know. Uh the complicated parts but um, the tubing from your bag can clip into this you can plug if you have the right type of syringe you can just screw the syringe into it and it just minimizes mess and it is called the infant system and before the infant system happened there was all kinds of confusion happening especially with people that had just multiple lines Something would accidentally be getting plugged into the wrong place, so they invented this basically foolproof, <laughs> proof method or system called the infant system, and it only works with intero. So there's no possible way that a medical mistake can be made, and then you can accidentally plug yourself in, or a nurse or a medical professional can accidentally plug you into the wrong thing. So, um. The first one came as a Christmas tree adapter. That's what they call it. Um, And that's what works with what I have now. But they make ones that are double-end fit. And basically, they just screw together nice and tight. And mine are the continuous feed system. But I did see that there was a bolus feed system. So that's why I wanted to look into getting those. I know. It's like we're thinking, "What, what kind of clothes are... Something do I need? And I'm thinking, what kind of supplies are gonna need to make the you know tube life easier? Um, I I have weird methods, I guess, when it comes to maintaining my tube. And I think everybody has what works for them. And me is that I absolutely adore Toby pads. I can't stand gauze and tape. Uh, I have really sensitive skin and it doesn't take much for me to become allergic um, in terms of uh, the adhesives used. So, for example, if my cardiologist wants me to do a halter monitor, they have to order me the sensitive skin leads, And even then, I can still have allergic reactions, actually still have scars on my chest from the last um, monitor, monitor they had to do. And it was this like new Bluetooth monitor that I don't think, um, thing that like connected to their phone. So I was walking around for, for 14 days with two phones and it beeps at you if, if it's the slightest off and you can only put it in specific directions. And I basically was on the phone with them a lot and eventually got it figured out that I basically was going to have to use the pediatric leads and just take them to myself. And my skin was never so happy to get those off. Oh, my goodness. But for some reason, if I'm in a hospital and they put their leads on me, I don't have an issue. So I I don't understand why it is whenever I get a kit in the mail and I have to use those leads, I break out in a rash. I'll get rashes. I'll have a reaction. But if they do an EKG in the hospital on me or if they do like monitoring leads, I'm totally fine. So um makes no sense. Um so sense. But then again, a lot of times chronic illness does things just make no sense at all. Um like I bet you can relate to being fine and then your body completely just being going off the rails the next second, you're like but, but how? Um you're like I was literally just resting on the couch. I, I, all I did was breathe, and it was like your body goes, oh no, and it's like you breathe and something breaks, and it's like. No. So right now, you know, there's certain humors I've learned to, laugh. I've learned to laugh at myself. Um, I've learned to take it serious when it needs to be taken serious. But other times, I'm kind of like, this is what the diagnosis is that I live with, and I'm going to continue to live life the best way that I know how, and I'm just going to have to figure out a way to make it adapt, because I'm not going to stop living my life for my chronic illnesses. I will figure it out. And you do. You figure out what works for you to give you the best quality of life and the best care, and it breaks my heart that a lot of places, people with chronic illnesses are that you can't see, and for those of you, it's also kind of like invisible, because you can't physically see that something's wrong with that person, so it's easily mistaken or shoved off as being in your head, or that you're crazy, or you're maybe drug-seeking or something, and uh, it can get really frustrating to the point of tears trying to convince them that, yes, something is wrong and I need help. And it it can get very, it can get a very defeatist attitude. But I go in there knowing exactly what is the deal with me. And I have a list, and I encourage you to do this, I have a list on my phone, um, of my emergency contacts, but of all my medications, and I update it exactly what I take, when I take it, and um, the list of any of the prominent surgeries and stuff like that. Um, so, in case I can't verbally tell them, it is literally written in, in legible writing, like it's typed off of my phone, and they can get all that information. Um, one of all the information, but I honestly prefer to just verbally, if I can, tell whoever it is what the issue is and my conditions, and I constantly have to say, okay, yeah, you want to give me this medicine in my IV, or you want to give me this pill, but you need to check to make sure that it's safe to take with my conditions that I have and with the medication that I'm already on, that I'm on. And I was, and I, cause I will sit there and pull up some of the re- reputable sites. I know that I can look up a medication and look up the side effects and look up what medication does not recommend it to take with and find, um, that if they had done this like two seconds of research would have realized it would have been a huge mistake to put me on it uh, and on it because you have to be like on top of it and because you're there because you're not in a good place you're not feeling well and you have to constantly be on top of every part of your care because they just the doctor comes in and sees you and writes a script for something but doesn't really, like, go into the details of the history, which is, this, to me, single most important thing is the patient's medical history and past. Because that dictates what you can give them right now in the moment. How to treat them um, the best. And to look up the medication you want to give them. Like, just because the hospital system says it's okay does not mean that it's okay. Um, and I have found that. And that's where I get into my fight mode. Because I know, um, I, know I hear what they want to give me. And I research it. And I will, if I feel like it's safe, if the side effects are minimal, you know, or something. I'm like, okay. But if it's something and it has like 30 side effects on it. Most of it is in that incident not known category or rare, I'm more prone to the rare side effects, and um, if my body's having to deal with the side effects of a medication, you know especially since I'm prone of allergic reactions, to me, the risk has now outweighed the benefit, and uh, I will say nope and then make come mad because they might come back in with something else and then I'll be go, I literally had them come back in with something that I'm actually allergic to. And I'm like, I have an allergy band on my arm right now. Like, literally look it up. I mean, it is a long list. Most of my allergies are antibiotics, with the exception of a few other medications. And I'm like, you have access to my chart. And you still showed up with the medication. (laughs) Okay. Funny. Yeah, not funny. So that's where... You have to advocate for yourself, and you have to fight for yourself, and you have to be able to be like, I want my patient advocate, and this is a person that has your back and will get you the care you need, and I have done that before. I've done that in the waiting room of emergency room, because I was having very bad bronchospasms. I was coughing really bad. This is literally in the middle of COVID last year, and... I needed a nebulizer treatment. And people were staring at me. I was getting uncomfortable. I was miserable. I kept asking. And they said, oh, well, there's one person in front of you. And people kept getting called. And I understand, you know, triage. But I knew if I didn't get something in soon, the tighter my airways were going to get. And it was going to get harder to get air moving through my lungs. And you kind of need air to breathe. So I... Was, like, on my phone. I found the patient advocate number. And I was, like, I'm down here in the emergency room. Um, You could hear how short of breath and wheezy I was. I had to kind of stop her several times to call. I'm, like, this is what's going on. And I keep asking. And, like, nothing's happening. And I got off the phone with her. And within, like, a minute uh, or two, I was back. I was put into this, the last triage room, which really isn't used. So there could There could be three triage rooms but it's not really used for patients at all. Um, it's basically just stuff with where they didn't know where else to put it like extra chairs, uh, extra scale and you know it is not utilized. It is underutilized for sure. Um, it used to be one triage room, one room where that's where you would go get your IV and your blood drawn and then you would go sit back out in the waiting room with your IV, um, and then had you this red cup and want you to give a pee sample. And it's like, so now it's a little bit, a little bit different. Sometimes you still go in there and they'll, they'll start your IV there, but other times if I'm taken straight back to a bed, then they start my IV there, which is kind of where I prefer it. But um, I'm a person like I like to especially if it's going in my body and it has, it has to be done, I like to know. I feel like maybe some people, it makes it feel better if you just don't tell them what to expect or the possible side effects. But for me, that's going to drive my anxiety crazy. I'm, I'm a person that I need to know the details. I need to know what's going to happen. I think every patient deserves, you know... A, to know if this, what this medication could possibly do to them so they could be on the lookout for it. If you don't tell me that this could possibly happen, then I don't know to be on the lookout for it. So I could be having it and not have any idea. Um, start my philosophy on the call button. I only push that button if I absolutely know that I need the nurse and I can't do whatever it is by myself. Um... But other than that, I pretty much leave it, uh, alone because nurses are busy people and I'm not about to be bothering them with trivial things. So, you know, I called them when my tubes fallen out in the hospital twice, um, or if I was breaking on like itches or something, just to them that there's a possible reaction building, um. Um, And like I said, I get, obviously when you're admitted, you get better treatment on the floor versus if you're just in a bed and the kind of objectives to see, I think, to be able to hopefully discharge you. So um, it's a different night and day environment, but I've still met amazing nurses on the, the emergency room floor and on the upstairs floor, you know, just. I think it depends on the hospital you go to. I think it depends on how it's run. Now I've, and especially when it's a hospital that has many, it's a system of hospitals, and they have locations everywhere. Um, one hospital, hospital, we had we lost due to a hurricane that came through. Like the damage was so bad to it that it wasn't worth the cost to rebuild it. So they destroyed that. So now there's one like south of me one the other side of direction and then there's others even farther up. So, I think by the end of next year they built like a it's slightly more able, it it can handle more than an urgent care. I think urgent care on steroids. Um, It's basically just the ER portion of the hospital and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so these people come in to the emergency room and I'm like, what if they need to be admitted? That means you now have a transfer. And in my mind, if I'm not going to, have to, go to the ED unit, I'd rather just go where at least if they transfer me. I'm not going to have to take an email to get there. Yeah. But it might really come in handy and be life saving for a lot of people. So I think it's a good thing. Um, chronic illness wise. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what this emergency room is going to be able to treat, how they're going to be equipped, how, if they even handle traumas at all, or if this is just kind of like run-of-the-mill, stitches, staples, cold, flu, this kind of stuff. Um, like just a bigger version of an urgent care. Um, I found urgent cares that aren't a part of a hospital system I think, work better because there's not this, like, corporate version hanging over them trying to, like, run it. And I get in and out faster. Um, but that's, like, kind of where I live. And I've had experiences both up here and both by their south without a hospital. And I kind of have to say the way that they're run um, is not very different. Um... That was my one thought: was when I moved, was well, I'm going up further. Maybe the care will be better. But the truth be told is, you can go anywhere and have horrible care. You can go anywhere and have great care. And I hope that if any of us have to go visit our neighborhood-friendly emergency room, that we get the best care that's due us because. Things are crazy as it is. And so I try to have the benefit of the doubt. Because we're done with COVID. COVID decided to mutate. And um, we all knew going into 2021 that the COVID battle was still on. And now we have three vaccines, which I can't take. And if you took the vaccine, if you're able to get it and... Hopefully, it affords you some protection. Um, And then that's certain things that I'm still learning and figuring out about is the vaccine versus anti-vaxxers and trying to get from both perspectives. My personal thing is I'm definitely pro-vaccine, but it depends on what the vaccine is for, So, like, the vaccines that are required for kids to get, I think they're really important to get. Like, if you can get the chickenpox vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, the um, Tdap vaccine, I think it is. You know, if you also, really important one, the meningitis vaccine and the three shots, that is for... And get it is a shot of a series of three shots um, to help prevent it help is it help can help prevent cervical sort of cancer but um it's just a good protection to have but, um on board and then there are certain ones I'm like,, mm, like the flu shot comes around every year, and I've had it once and I got really sick with it and I just was like. No. The one thing that I do get is a pneumococcal vaccine. And that is because my body needs it in order to basically fight off the nasty, nasty respiratory infections. So uh, that started with constantly having sinus infections and then getting the sinus surgery, which was a whole thing. Because I was like, if I'm going to have to be asleep anyway, if you're going to be up my nose anyway, we might as well. Just get it all done. Because the basically said. At some point. You're going to have to come back. And have the sinus surgery anyway. What do you want to do? I said. Let's just do the sinus surgery now. And get it over with. Which. I can breathe. I was like. Oh my goodness. This is what life is like. To like. Breathe. I was like. Oh. So definitely. What I was doing before. Was not normal. And there was. No amount of nasal spray. On the market. That could have fixed that situation. Um, because. My allergy reactions cause swelling of the turbinids, which they're inside your nose. And I would get into the size of thumbs. Imagine something the size of a thumb in your nose. You're not going to be able to inhale through your nose real well with that. And it's going to sort of block things off. You're going to get a lot of air trapped in your sinuses. It's going to be really hard for your sinuses to drain. Um, On top of that, I had a little deviated septum. So I had that corrected. And they made the openings of my sinuses bigger because they know my allergies. And they reduced the size of my turbinates. And I was like, well, shoot, no wonder I was feeling miserable. Um, But then after that, it was like because we opened up the pathways. Now it was like a straight shot to my lungs and then infections. And at that point, you're probably like, girl, you've seen a lot. But I saw an infectious disease and that's like my whole immune system and found that I had no titers for pneumococcal, not necessarily pneumonia, but um, titers that are basically antibodies that should be in your body to help fight off any kind of bacteria or whatever that can cause a respiratory infection. So if that's not there, that's like the, the, the doorway in to start wreaking havoc. And for a while I would go through, I would get better and then I'd get really sick and then I would get better and then I'd get really sick and then I'd get better. I would end up in the hospital and it was just like never ending. And it was when we decided to see why am I not like staying healthy, like, Why does the infection recur? And then we found that out. So the doctor that I was seeing ordered the pneumococcal vaccine. I literally went in. I got it. You get it every five years. And since then, the amount I still get respiratory infections kind of comes with the asthma territory, especially. I feel like if there's an exacerbation and a reaction that happened within a relatively close window, um, but, I think, now that I have those, like, antibodies, those titers built up now, and I can tell what I'm getting due for that, because my infection rate starts picking up. Um, and I'm usually pretty good about, like, sanitizing my hands. I have sanitizer everywhere. So, um, that's how it kind of became apparent that my body, my immune system, is not equipped to handle the the daycare world. I love working with kids. I think they're amazing and smart. And yes, they can be a little crazy and you know, but they're full of energy and that energy has to get out somehow. And I I like seeing the, the little gears turning in their mind as they're figuring out what they're going to create. And um I'm like I'm in my mind, I feel like the best way to learn is to let them like learn for like teach, do the t- some teaching, but let them also be able to be their own teacher in a way. Um, like let them explore, let them get involved with this with sensory and like explore the little world around them, but obviously make sure you baby proof. Um, I definitely figured out that as a opponent of cuddles, and I had the head teacher in the particular room who was anti-cuddle the baby. baby, don't ask me how, but I knew babies need cuddles, they need love, they need attention, a lot of it, you know, and I was most relaxed, but I was holding a baby in my arms, and they were having a bottle. I was just trying to comfort them, and they would fall asleep on me, and I'd lay them down in their crib, and that'd be the end of that, and I'd hear, you can't keep holding them, because all they're going to want to do is be held, and I'm like, well, they're babies, they want to be held, it's the nature of a baby to want to be held, and I could see the response of ignoring that need for nurture. Was it that they needed a diaper change or a bottle feed? It was this desire to be nurtured, to be held, to feel a sense of security and love. Um, and I was like, wow, and and to be honest, I kind of did it anyway because I like I'm not allowed about them to get neglected of feeling like they're not going to get nurtured here. You know, nurture is important, nature is important. But not doing something because you think they're gonna just cling on you like laundry without a dryer sheet. I mean it's like not the case. It it's it it is gonna go because it's only two people and like eight babies. And you could definitely use the extra set of hands, like, at all times. I mean, because it's definitely hard to juggle, changing the diaper, and then, but it gave me an insight into parenting, because someone's always hungry, someone's always needing a diaper change, and somebody just needs some cuddles. And I figured out a lot of the times, they weren't upset for any other reason, just for the fact that they just needed to be cuddled, and they just needed some love, and... And a little bit of bonding, and it just helped calm them down and then they'd be fine and when they get really tired, they would definitely get more clingy to me and I started to pick up on their cues because I was allowing that cuddling to happen that was usually more clingy cuddly if they wanted their things sleep, eat, change a diaper, but sometimes you could Smell them coming, I um, definitely formed a lot of opinions on child care between my early childhood degree and working in a child care setting and just realizing that uh, the words corporate and child care just it just they just don't go together but um, besides that i you know I've, I've had the privilege to work in shadow in elementary school. I've had the privilege to work with incredible four-year-olds who've changed my life forever. That teacher, she's amazing. Um, And I've kind of really gotten to see what it takes to be an educator and, you know, from educator and to be able to teach and to understand how to teach the age you rank, age and grade level that you're teaching. And how you teach and approach a classroom of four-year-olds is completely different than how you would approach and teach a classroom of two-year-olds who have not developed an attention span yet. So, uh, and my philosophy is that that age, they're not really going to be able to sit there and focus for more than two, 15 seconds, like 10 seconds. Same thing with like, they do something wrong, and you go to redirect them, um, they're not going to remember very long why they were in trouble for the first place. They're just going to get mad because you're not letting them play. So, my mind is, like, I try to talk. I, I'm like, I would not want to be yelled at. That's just me. I don't like being yelled at. I don't like people being up in my face. And, like, I think, you know, just because they're two doesn't mean that they don't feel the same way and so I tried to get on not on the literal level but uh, to them I try to explain what they did was wrong and like level with them and, and I know like in an instance at that age I see you do is just say this is something that we don't do and you might have to have that conversation several times but I think it gets through more than if you're yelling at a child. Uh, other things that I've learned: when you're between the ages, when you're in the age range of being able to be potty trained, um, rule one of things you should never, ever, ever, ever do is shame, potty shame. Don't do it. I have seen the setbacks it has when. Do you make a child feel guilty. For having an accident. Like. It's a humiliation on their face. Especially when the judging table is out in the open. And everybody in the world is saying. You get a diaper put on you. I can't imagine a more, more humiliating situation. And that's like. I constantly remind myself. They're two. They're three. You know. They're not going to have. Perfect bowel and bladder control. And yes. Some. Especially if they have a new sibling. Join the family or something. They might have regression. And that's normal. It's okay. But to yell at them about it. it It's only going to make them regress further. If there, there's a reason. That they're terrified to sit. like On the toilet. Then. You can see that there's an area. To work on. And, you know, getting the parents involved with this and being patient, which is hard to do because you feel like you're doing all this. You don't have to sit here and time to, to change the diaper. But if that's what you have to do, then that's what you have to do. You feel like at three, you're more aware of what you're doing and a privacy is just needed. Um, And sometimes kids take longer to potty train than others. It's normal. Accidents happen. Regressions happen. Being scared of the potty, it happens. It is like the most normal thing ever of Bumps, you come across with the child who is training, And my learning with that is to be patient with them. And don't push them to do something they're not ready to do. And if they do do something, showing signs of maybe a be encouraging. But in are three, you're like, well, they other three, I respect their feelings. Don't push an issue. If you know this is an issue, this is going to have to be an issue. It has to be also worked out at home. and forget that. Maybe you hear, oh, but he does, they do it fine at home, but here it's a problem. And when I heard that, I was like, well, I know exactly why it's a problem. It's because something happened between him and the teacher that caused him to now fear to sit on, sit on the body. And so I was just over we here, like, constantly listening because the bathrooms for them But up to where I was working, listening to just being berated um, for having accidents and having zero patience. And the solution was no underwear, we're putting you in a diaper. And these would be kids that were getting ready to turn four or three. And I just was like, it Made me mad, but at the same time, it's like you're kind of taught in the weird backwards way. If you see something in the training, things is if you see something, say something. But then when I saw something and tried to say something, it said you can't say something because you are get in trouble. It is a mess, This is why I'm going to say if you're a parent and a guardian, whatever, and you're looking for a daycare facility, do your research. Just because they may have franchises everywhere, look at the star ratings. Read what parents are saying. Take a tour. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to let you in on some details. Just because they say that they clean every day doesn't actually mean they do. How do I know that? Because at first... I was inclined to help um, encourage parents to want to place their child best. But then I kind of realized what I was being told to do was basically a lie. Watch how the kids are playing. Okay? Like, watch it for a second. Because there's literal Department of Children and Family Services rules for running a daycare. They're supposed to be... A certain amount of teachers per kids, and so for like every three kids, I think it's two two. There should be two people, some something like that. But um, a lot of the times, people the kids come in all snotty, they're just dripping snot everywhere. They stick their hands in their mouth. It's all over the toys. The thing to do is that the toys that end up in the mouth, the toys that end up getting sneezed on, they have to be cleaned off with like a Clorox wipe, with some Lysol at the end of the day. Um, if they say they come in on the weekend and then leach the toys, unless they're a highly rated facility, I would say chances are no. Especially if you can, another thing, look at how much staff is there because that's pretty much going to give you the idea of, what the staff is like on a daily basis, which is going to tell you a lot about if this thing is running smoothly or if it's, it's not. Um, like, study the quality of everything. Like, from where they change your tables, the changing table is to where they eat. Look at the quality of the toys. You'll notice that a lot of toys don't make noise. That is because they take the batteries out even if that battery compartment is held in with a, a screw, and you have to screw it in with a screwdriver, they don't want to deal with the noise. So, they take the batteries out. Um, the other thing you'll see is you'll see, like, duplicates of toys. That's a really important thing. They care, do they have duplicates of toys? Because fights will happen. Um, learn about, like, their discipline policy. Because you will have kids that will go through a biting phase, and... At the end of the day, you might have somebody come up to you and ask you to sign a form about the wedding And then it goes so many times, you know, like a warning. And then it would go up a level and up level and up a level. And um, I think it's been asked to be removed because it the biting had got to that point. So, the thing is, look your kid up and down when they come home. I'm just saying. You know... Listen to your kids, what they're saying, because you never know what they are going to pick up and take care. Um, There are wonderful daycare facilities, and then there's ones that pretend to be wonderful facilities, and they're not. And I don't want you to end up with your child in a bad facility or a facility that's um, understaffed and stressed to the max and basically taking it out on the kids on a daily basis or... You might notice uh, shelves, but they're flipped around up against the wall. Um, that is because it, they try, even at one years old, to get them structure and don't want them to have access to those toys. They usually won't get access to those till it's time for pickup. Um, um, another thing is, I would say, if you are one of see people that are gonna drop your car seat off with the daycare, check your car seat over uh, because, um, you never know after you left, uh, wherever you set your car seat down, there's an likely chance it was moved and who knows how well it was handled. So I would check every inch of it to make sure that it was safe, that it didn't get damaged. Um, things like that. Cause sometimes they tend to be in a place where it's pretty easy for the older kids, the older children to get to them. Um, to be honest, you'd be safer keeping, if it's because somebody else is picking them up, you know, see if there's like, they have a dedicated space for car seats where the kids can't get to them. Um, look for a daycare that has a stroller and has a place where they they can take the kids for a ride out in the stroller, um, in which case you're going to be required to bring sunscreen, um. In a daycare, you'll find if you're a cloth diapering parent that they do not do cloth diapers, and the reasoning behind that is they don't have the setup to do cloth diapers. Most places don't, and it comes down to a hygiene thing. For them, it's easier and more hygienic to disposable diaper, and because for them it's basically I don't know they could get on, kind of get in trouble with DCFS. If they change a cloth diaper and they have no way to basically hose off it's like a number two diaper or something, a lot of them don't know how to use a cloth diaper. So just, um, and they're not going to stick it in a bag for you to like wash later and then that's not, they're not going to do it. Um, so figure out which disposable diaper brand you like. Now some, a lot of places offer a diaper service, which means they pay a company, and they deliver diapers in various sizes. But a lot of times, sometimes, they can fall behind on ordering the diapers and the wipes. And they can use diapers. If you notice, all of a sudden, you're, you pay for the diaper service, and you notice that your kid is getting diaper rash, um, they're not going to pay for the most expensive diapers. They're going to go where they can save some money. Um, and at least the friend I know... I worked with was called Cuties. It runs as a diaper service, It's disposable diapers. I believe they go up to all, all the way to size seven, but I found that they leak. I found there was constant diaper rash issues. They weren't very soft, and there's another thing. Do account of if you bring your own diapers, which I suggest. Do account um or wipes or creams. Do account of how many diapers you're bringing in. Keep track of that. How much um, like diaper rash cream or products specifically for that child. And write their name on it. And make sure that you speak to the teacher. Let them know that this is only for them. Because it is not unheard of, and I have seen it, where one kid runs out of diapers. And they'll just grab some other kid's diaper from their stash and use it on them mostly because maybe they don't want to go to the closet and get the um the diapers that we are the diapers that they get like shipped that you can pay for and if you have to use what the daycare is providing then they might charge you for that so um I would ask to like check and see because if you know you bought 24 diapers in and then you can pick up your kid and there's 12, um, yeah. Or if you see your kid's diaper rash cream all bundled up and it was a full tube when you dropped it off and it is not full by the time you like, there's a good chance they're using it on other kids. Um, so that's why I'm saying The careful. Other thing, uh, Most places will not let, if your baby is breastfed, most of the baby places have a little fridge and you can store your breast milk in there and it gets labeled. So there is no mistakes. If your baby is formula fed, um, if you're going to use a specific formula, you have, most of the time you have to pre-mix that formula and in bottles and bring it and stick it in the fridge. Um, if you bring in the box of the powdered formula and want them to just make and the empty bottles and expect them to mix it nine times out of ten, they're not. Now, there are places where I've seen, but you also are all required to bring a jug of the water for babies and your formula, and they'll they'll mix it Um Make sure you label your baby's bottles really, 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 really well. Um, and any, anything you bring in that's theirs. The, a blanket, a swaddle. Some places, that's oh, another thing. Most places is nothing can be in the crib. It falls under a sleep, sleep safe environment. Uh, your best option is a sleep sack. Um, Halo sleep sack is a really good one. Any of those, but if you bring on a blanket and expect them to swaddle, it's not happening uh, because it is a, a hazard. So if you have a teddy bear or a lovey, or there's a mobile or something that attaches to the crib, it can't. Nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing on that crib. Not a bumper, not, no nothing, because it goes against sleep safe. So they can have a sleep suit, which is the zip up blanket. But they can't have like, and when those Aiden and and I like muslin blankets that you like wrap them up in, even if they're like older. The only time they have blankets are allowed is once they get to like one or two, and then they're transitioned to cots that lay kind of low on the floor, and you are expected to bring their blanket and their pillow or whatever um, with them. Now you can with these cots, you can actually buy these kits where it's elastic and it attaches um, to the cot itself and then it doesn't go anywhere. That's uh, the other thing is if there's a bucket, most likely they'll have a na- their name on it. Put their name on the blanket anyway. Um, put their name on the inside of their shoes and bring bring extra clothes and bring your shoes. I don't mean one extra pair of clothes. I mean like two extra pair of clothes, two or three extra pairs of clothes couple extra pair of socks and at least one extra pair of shoes. No sandals, close to shoes. Seriously. Um, if your child, this is kind of sensitive, if your child has allergies, make sure that the front desk knows, make sure that the teacher knows and that, um, teacher knows. Now, here's the thing. Only the front desk can give uh, because of where their license is, in terms of uh, early childhood, is allowed to dispense medicine. So if your child's having a reaction, their teacher cannot give it to them. They have to go to the front desk, and they will be give it to them there, or they'll come to their room. Um, don't be startled if you walk in a room at daycare, and you see the whole place is wired with cameras. Uh, that's more of a thing I believe you see in corporate places but basically it's kind of extra security to be able to watch the staff and other things um you know like I said do your research see what other parents have said if they've had their kid at their facility because I've known kids that have gone to the facilities I've worked at and then have literally been pulled uh because of issues and um your best bet, uh, most places, if you're late to pick up your kid, they're going to charge you, like, $15 for every 30 minutes that you're late, so be on time, um, especially if they're having, like, an employee meeting, um, type of thing, um, and they usually have to happen, like, one week, one day out of the month, um, Don't be surprised if your kid gets sick a lot because it happens. Um, that's why I say you want to look for a place that has a good reputation. You know, this is one of those places where I'd say if you're like doing a Yelp search or Google search, look at the number of stars because that is going to tell you a lot um, um, of what you need to know. And yes. We need to know. You can bring your own diaper bag with stuff, but nine times out of ten, they're not really going to go in there and reach for stuff. Um, you can bring passies for your baby, but it's pretty much at baby. Uh, most places uh, will let you still be potty training up to the age of three. After that, you're expected to be potty trained. Um, so kind of figure out if it's the right facility for you. If you know you know, the rates, stuff like that, the time. Um, There's places where they go from like 6.30 in the morning to 6.30 at night. There are times where you can sign up for a meal plan, which means instead of you having to pack a lunch for your kid, the place has a kitchen and they prepare a breakfast, a lunch, and a snack for the kids. And they usually are partnered up with some kind of company, and well, um, company that will do massive deliveries of the food that's refrigerated or has to be in the pantry. And I have one person that's kind of like a like a little chef, and will put together their meals. And sometimes they do not like the most advertising. I'm gonna be real. Um, Other things. Like, trust your instincts. Do your research. You can actually go on the DCFS website and you can actually look up a daycare. You can see how many visits uh, DCFS has made. And how it went. Did they pass the inspection? Did they fail? And why did they fail? So you want to get some dirt. Not dirt. But you want really, really want to get information that they're not going to tell you. You go to DCFS website and there is a way to look up your daycare. Because they get surprise inspections. And there are certain things required for you to pass. Um or pass or fail at the daycare. So you can literally look and see kind of like if you've ever seen where you can do like a restaurant review and it shows why the the, the health department failed them or passed them in the same respect with daycare, you can look and see where they passed and where they failed. And I give you more information on, okay, really is this where I want to put my kid? So I already do that. Uh, I'm getting to the end of this podcast, but I kind of wanted to do a segment on childcare and my experiences have been working there, and what to look for, what to look out for, and uh, sources to go to if you really, really want to make sure an absolute detail um, where they stand with DCFs, because if they're, they're not standing good with DCFs, we just keep on trigging. um, what else can you say? Um, I I hope that you guys had a wonderful New Year's Eve and a New Year's Day. Uh, I will be putting up my next episode soon. Hopefully, I'll have some more information then on what I'm going to do. Um, but it might get a little bit sparse with episode uploads because I'm about to start the semester again. Um, pretty soon, so it gets really hard with my workload to upload, but if I get the opportunity, I will, but uh, in the meantime, I really appreciate all of your listening and support, and uh, my beautiful friends, my amazing friends, Um, whether you're chronically fabulous or whatever, for whatever walk of life you are. I think all of you are awesome and special and I'm so glad you're part of this community. So until next time, bye friends.